Hello and welcome to the Hacker Noon podcast. It's Hacker Noon's two pie. Hacker Noon podcast. Today we would be discussing deep fakes as well as crypto. We wanna go over some things such as are deep fakes more than just gags and reels that we see on YouTube's, or is there something sinister behind it? I'm sure some of us would agree. And then we would also go over the legalities and legitimacies of crypto. So without further ado, let's start today. On my guest panel is A.B. Tom, a Hakanoon editor. Along with her, we have the wonderful Ellen Stevens, who is probably a communist, but I won't hold that against her. No. Hey, Ellen, how are you doing today? I'm well. I, I don't subscribe to any such things for the record. <laughs> it's okay. These are just labels, right? We all go through phases. But yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> so oh, what story do we have today to look at? Let's look at deep fakes first. So I wanted to like, Get to know from you guys first. What is your understanding of deep fakes? What do you think of deep fakes? Okay. Let's go with Amy first. It's like the internet culture of like essentially really good face swapping to do like illegitimate news or create some kind of scandal or something. That's my understanding of what deep fakes are and what they're used for. Is that correct? <laughs> Everything's correct over here. I shared this video in a Slack channel where like it was Queen Elizabeth singing Promiscuous Girl. This other thing, it was probably like some old English, English prime minister, whatnot. So they were doing that duet. This screenshot is from that. We have a very good photo over here. Look at it. Like you wouldn't be able to tell the difference. Like that is the thing. It doesn't look morphed at all because there is machine learning that goes behind it. So strands of hair that I don't want to sound as if it's, it makes more sense than it does, but even that glisten on that like brow or whatever, that mm -hmm. opening of the mouth, all of that generated via AI. So on those old timey things, I don't know whether you guys know or not, where these people were morphing images on top of the other, that was a Photoshop thing. You could find out whether it was a Photoshop or not by looking at the shadows or whatnot. But now this takes it a step further. Do you think, is it like funny, Ellen? Or do you think that it is something that should be handled with? So there are moments where this technology can be used to be funny for sure. However, I think it presents quite a significant challenge to society because it can create a zero trust society. If you have a video that you're looking at and uh, interpreting as reality when in fact it's complete fiction and it's showing a particular person saying something that they may never otherwise say it creates quite uh, quite a challenge for society i think you know, it's definitely questionable when you have an overlay of elon musk's face on a baby that might be comical for sure but when you have court cases where someone is accusing someone else of 
a video being sent that's a deep fake of the other person and then the legal system not knowing who's telling the truth that's significant let's look at this let's look at this video that louis well, bouchard seem like they've always been there the very first realistic deep fake didn't appear until 2017 it went from these first ever recent performance deep fake detector indeed they can detect deep fakes with over 90% accuracy in help research by trying our best to spot deep fakes please link them in the comments i proficient because it deals with only a handful of tiny images instead of the full image more details about open face 2.0 can be found in the description of the video if you're curious about it amy what do you think about these like script kiddies they don't even know to know about these machine learning tools like they have the tool the tool does it essentially what the tool says is hey so here is this tool add an image and add an, another like celebrity and the software will do the rest yes we want software that can do that but does that help us probably not like in the long run i think without any kind of regulation in this of using deep fakes then yeah you're just going to get a bunch of fake news although i did see one example of a deep fake that was done by a korean news channel i think mm-hmm. where the korean newscaster was uh like it was someone else and they just overlaid her face onto the person and then i was like and i, I don't know what she was saying cuz it was in korean but i was like oh my god <laughs> that's like the reality of oh what if i could just make a copy of myself and then you could do all of the work and right. so like, imagine this K- korean woman is just like newscasting 24/7 but like not even her i'm like that's pretty cool so right. i don't know like if there is any kind of regulation in like what makes it illegal versus not illegal then like maybe further down the line i can see this like being actually something that would be pretty cool to do Mhm but and I'm not sure like how deep the legality has gotten of like what makes this illegal what makes this like punishable by law versus not or like punishable in any kind of like fine way or something like that but I think that I read that there was something that was like deep fakes are illegal if they're within 90 days of a US election and it has to do with <laughs> the president or something and I was like what <laughs> Okay. So, uh, I don't know how far it's progressed in terms of if you could be punished for making fake news or not, but maybe that's something that needs to be done first before this could be considered like safe for public. I don't know. That raises the question like how do you regulate it? Cause like as a story like very like deeply points out that it becomes indistinguishable from reality. So, what is the reality then? it becomes a mm. case of like he said who do you trust and then that's the other question is like if this becomes more massively adopted and there's more and more fake news out there then you have to say oh okay we can only trust like a f- quote unquote official news sources but then mm. can we trust official news sources that's really mm-hmm. the question it's full circle on everything of trust in the internet mm. So on that front Elena I'd like to ask you like where would you like to draw the line I'm trying to find the video if I can get that singing promiscuous girl promiscuous queen always was singing promiscuous girl <laughs> what a google search <laughs> yeah that's going to be a notable one in your search history for sure I so I did a search history and I spelled it wrong so yeah very nice <laughs> 
This That's one. fine. We've got spell check. So yeah. I think definitely it would be probably ideal to have regulation that makes a distinction between uh, deep fakes, which are used for entertainment purposes, whether it be films, whether it be funny videos, etc., and satire versus whether it's used in order to harm anyone. And, you know, with, that, with any new technology, the way I think the law approaches that is to look at the evidence and whether that caused damages to the other person. So it could be it could be any sort of thing. It could be a lie. It could be someone saying something incorrectly about someone else in, in a newspaper or in an interview, or it, it could be this uh, deep fake technology that's used. All of those things would be considered in a court of law and, and they mm. are. So the way to tell, so humans actually, this video, I think that you previously were, were going were gonna to show, it actually talks about uh, studies that they've done in in order to detect whether humans could actually pick up on the artificial intelligence, and they can't. However, um, there is artificial intelligence that exists <laughs> that can actually identify whether or not a video is uh, deep fake or not. So there are specialists and there are programs that sort of combat this sort of technology. So it is available. Would you like want to get the entire like technological might of something like the CIA to decipher what somebody is doing on like TikTok. It's more of a thing where would like, how would you define does this video hurt Queen Elizabeth? She probably doesn't know, doesn't care. Does it hurt her feelings of the, does it hurt the feeling of her heirs, her memory, or in this case, like Henry Tudor? If you does guys it hurt know. Nelly Furtado? Does it hurt Nelly Furtado? Nobody asked. Let's right? not forget she's involved in this. Yeah. <laughs> this girl. It's her song. <laughs> right? And the other guy who was in it. I forgot his name. What was it? Anyways, I'll check that out later. But here's the song. Such a nice one. A TikTok. Right, 15 seconds of fame and this guy gets it. Where do you draw the line, Ellen, on that? Do you want to get the CIA or the FBI? Because not every country would have the power or the resources to check these things. There are elections in certain parts of the world, like countrywide elections, where even Facebook's heads were, like heads of communications or whatnot, were seen saying, uh, those elections don't matter. It's okay if some fake news like passes through or whatnot. They got a lot of backlash for it. Like they did this whole thing for the US election, but they never like, or they did not have the resources for the other elections as well. Let's be like gentle about that. But you see what I'm trying to get at is we involve those resources every time. So it's good that we have a moral line of sorts that we draw so where would you draw that line when it's fun and if it's fun then do we want to define fun over here because what might be funny to me might not be funny to you and the and like vice versa 
So I think in general, in, in order to prove that you've been hurt, you have to have actual evidence of you losing money or mm. you losing a job or you losing some sort of respect within the community. So that's something that's considered. And, and it's not like, I don't think a hard line It's something if you feel that you have been wronged in a particular way, here is X, Y, and Z to prove that it caused some sort of damage to your life. That's significant. So I think that's mm -hmm. generally how that's looked at and i don't see why it can't be applicable here in mm. terms of what facebook can do and what people can do in general is i do think that so what i was reading about uh seemed to be an applicant or I could be getting a couple things confused, but it does seem like the artificial intelligence application that tells what's fake and what isn't mm -hmm. is something that might be available on the phone, but I could be, I don't know, they're developing it. Technologies like that, that combat things that don't necessarily have to also go to the CIA or, or whatever government intelligence, government intelligence as committee agency, I can think of that word for a second. And yeah, those things should become readily available and, and companies like Facebook should Im implement that. So when you're uploading mm. a video to Facebook or a particular video is going extremely viral, there's a way to, to, to track that. Or especially right. if you're um, running a marketing campaign, they should just be able to run it through that system. And so if the system recognizes that it's a fake, then that's one way to potentially control that. I, I don't know the costs of that, but if it's already in existence, I don't know how complicated it would be to like simply implement that throughout various Facebook infrastructure all over the world. I'm, I don't know for sure how mm. um, expensive it would be. So yeah, I think maybe that answers answers your question. <laughs> it does. Know. It does. It does. Like it surely sounds like you are all up for regulation because it is a bit creepy. Nobody can deny that. The way I see it is that it is practically rewriting history. If I showed this particular gift to my father, he doesn't know who Billie Eilish is. And I'm sad that I know who she is, but like, <laughs> that's the fact. Aww. Like, I'm too old for this. So that's what I want to <laughs> say is that 50 years from now, people would not know what was pop culture today or what was it today. And if somebody changes it, and if that becomes viral, then that becomes a part of history because we lose history every day. Like, right. history is written by the vectors. So on right. that note, Amy, what's your take on deepfakes? Like to conclude this side of the question. Yeah, it's really gotta it's gotta be somehow in the right hands of the right user <laughs> at the right time and no one else. The road <laughs> and... to hell is paved with good intentions. Yes. Right? <laughs> it cannot be in the right hands. Like give it to degenerates, they'll have fun with it and they'll forget about it because they got bored with it and they move to the new things. Yeah. But imagine if like technology develops further and like it's more mass acceptable to spot deep fakes and mm. like any kind of like photo alteration. Mm -hmm. All of the women who are using Facetune are shaking in their boots and all of those stocks are going down <laughs> so hard. Like, what if Instagram report instantly reported any photo that was like too altered? <laughs> if Instagram did that, it would die the next day. That's true. <laughs> Instagram can't afford to do that. But it's okay, like, right? Because everybody wants to be the best version of themselves. And the way I see it is that a lot of it is on the media. So they project a very different picture of what is popular, what is in vogue. 
and we as people tend to emulate that and in certain cases like try to imbibe it yeah it's a sad world we live in but on to positive things from this jumping on to crypto do you guys hold any crypto let's start with that no ellen not yet but i'm eagerly very eager to start that process very nice to hear that what is the first coin that you want to buy i would like to buy something so it's it's on the polygon chain i believe mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. and it's like a green type of cryptocurrency so that's something that i need to do a little bit more research on but that's something i've heard about and made a mental note to to consider yeah i back when before ethereum ether grew i actually did uh, quite a bit of research because i was applying to some company that had a platform form based primarily on ethereum and so at that moment i was like i knew i know this is going to do well like i should have bought something but i just i'm the kind of person that doesn't do things unless i've really researched them and i still had more research to do in 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 the whole cryptocurrency realm so i didn't buy anything but i i think i think i have a good kind of knack for what is likely to be popular and i think cryptocurrency i think is here to stay Mm -hmm. and i think a the whole a sort of green and environmental element is definitely here to stay so i think that's just the natural the natural trend that we'll probably see so that's my answer <laughs> mm, my friends are like polygon would be very happy to hear that yeah they oh, are based out of India. <laughs> hello <laughs> i don't know if, if you are listening <laughs> ellen's gone that's cool oh, that's company. cool that you- <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, I've now heard uh, a little bit randomly about them, but I've made a mental note and they're probably going to be one of the first that um, I purchase. Mm -hmm. Had I done that with Ether, I might be quite wealthy right now. (laughs) (laughs) How about you, Amy? Which Um, one would you buy first? Bitcoin. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, yes. Why Bitcoin? Um, honestly, because I am like such a crypto noob and I just feel like Bitcoin is like probably the most widely adopted that would be like just less safe. So the thing with this is like, how would you buy it? Both of you are based out of Canada. So what's the process of buying your first like Bitcoin or your first Polygon currency? How would one go about doing that? So I'm going like, to let Ellen take that one because if I knew, I wouldn't be. So I'm not an expert either, but from what I gather, you uh, sign up with a digital um, wallet of, of some kind. You, you get a crypto wallet or, or you sign up with maybe one of the trade, something like Binance or something. And then uh, you probably would transfer some money into that account and then purchase it in that way, potentially. Uh, so mm-hmm. I think cryptocurrencies have their own trading kind of universe, but mm. it also overlaps with traditional. So that's, yeah, I'm not going to pretend I'm an expert on that yet, but I think, yeah, probably in such a way. That's exactly how one would buy it. And this okay. is what allows me to dovetail <laughs> oh, into this story. So what you just like suggested is that a very regulated way by uh, put some cash into a company like Binance and like, God help those guys. They are having so many legal troubles these days. But in my at least opinion, those guys are doing a very honest job, right? So 
that like just shows that how banks have warmed up to cryptocurrencies. When I wanted to buy it first, 2013, we had to basically find a person who was willing to sell it to us. I had to send money directly into his account and he would send like Bitcoin back to me. There was wow. no verification. There was no like escrow process. What happened? He was like, yeah, sure. Send me the money. I'll send you Bitcoin. And I was like, he is a Bitcoiner. I'm a Bitcoiner. What could go wrong? He took the money and ran on me. He oh, no. Me oh, my God. <laughs> How much did you send? Okay, you want this on live? So I lost about 15,000 Indian rupees or about $200, maybe 250 uh, back in the day or whatever. But I've learned my lesson, right? Yeah, or don't not. trust Bitcoiners. I, <laughs> no. What I learned scammer. was that I trust people very easily. But why did you do that? Like, who does that? <laughs> Apparently, I do. And she married me, and I was like, okay. <laughs> so yeah. So there's that. So that's what I'm trying to trying to get at is that there was no regulated way. There was this exchange called Mount Gox based out of Japan, some really famous people from then, like one of them founded Stellar, so whatnot. So these guys, the exchange that they built, that got hacked, somebody lost hundreds and thousands of, so there was no regulation, but now there is a lot of regulation. And there is a section of Bitcoiners who are like, if you don't own your keys, and by the way, when you buy it on Binance or whatnot, you don't own your keys unless you move it to some other like wallet of sorts, like your own wallet on your browsers or some hardware wallet like Trezor's or, or the ledgers. So when that happens, like that is the only time when you become the owner of your Bitcoin. Until then, it's owned by the Binances of the world. So are the banks accepting at least transactions on Bitcoin, like not the entire thing, but are they accepting it for the wrong reasons? And this is what this like amazing story goes by. I wanted to get, get your thoughts on this. So it goes into the story, which is very famous in the crypto community about JP Morgan. So JP Diamond, he was like, cryptocurrencies are a fraud. He said he would fire in a second any trader who was trading Bitcoin. And then he started, okay, I'm going to build this thing called a JPM coin, which is basically <laughs> accessing to Bitcoin or whatnot. Everybody is getting bullish on crypto. There was this stat which said 55% of the top 100 banks now have exposure to Bitcoin. So acceptance mm -hmm. is there, but there is also that hesitation. Like that hesitation still exists. And I wanted to delve deeper into what could those hesitations be? Those could be mine. Those could be yours. Like I have my, I have mine, which is if I want to buy something which cannot be bought with Bitcoin, it's not going to serve me any purpose at all. Unless I move it to Binance and then I sell it. There's a KYC process. My identity could be stolen. My money could be stolen. My credit card information can be stolen and whatnot. What are your like concerns? Apart from these, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> let's go with Amy from... first okay yeah. <laughs> what's up my concern is that I only understand 50% of what you're saying and so I I don't I, that's I'm not okay. ready to invest yet like it's so complicated like what that's the thing 
if we start to talk about money, invention of money, how it goes about, what's the fractional reserve system, which is what every Bitcoiner can go hours and hours about. That would be that would have the same effect on you. You might think, I don't get half of it. How does it happen that if I have a hundred dollars, I put it in the bank lens ninety dollars? So how much should the bank have? Ten dollars. But no, the bank has a hundred dollars. The bank assumes that I would never go and withdraw all my hundred dollars. Right. So the bank keeps a reserve of only 10% or $10, which becomes a fractional uh-huh. reserve system. So uh-huh. banks are practically inventing money, right? Nobody, like, we understand right. it, you understand it, because we are in this technological sector. What about the person who, let's say, works on a farm? He doesn't mm-hmm. understand, like, money, but he uses it. Yeah. So not understanding money, I guess, might not be the best reason for not... <laughs> Liking Bitcoin or whatnot, I guess the hesitation lies very close to what some senator said. It's managed by some secret super coders or whatnot. Do you like, I wanted to know what would you rather have your money being managed by secret shadowy super coders or would it be the government's? The Canadian government is nice, though, so you can say. I, it's if the question is whether one is better than the other. That's you know, it's so situational. It depends on the code of a particular cryptocurrency versus the ethics of a particular government, and all of that is relative to relative. Some governments are horrible. There's been cases where governments have shut down people's access to their money. That's why things like cryptocurrencies are being embraced is because governments do really questionable things. And so when it comes to coders controlling things, there should be a process to, what's the word that I'm looking for? Audit a particular code uh, for a particular currency. But at a certain point, that code is created and and it should, the the foundation should be safe enough that Mm -hmm. that currency functions like a proper block blockchain, right? That's the whole point of having blockchains is so that you have this properly recorded transaction that is very hard to alter. And you're creating a system that's much safer potentially than a government which can potentially change a lot of different things, rewrite history and leave you broke. Potentially, again, it depends on the state of the government. Again, like anything, it's on a situational basis. But I think the whole point of cryptocurrency is sort of to combat government instability, which is frequently caused by people. (laughs) So Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's a wonderful point. Like you make a distinction between authoritarian, authoritarian governments and like democracies, right? Guess what are the governments that are the first and the forefront at accepting cryptocurrencies? You would expect the democracies, but it's the authoritarian governments. El Salvador, Mm. Venezuela, like why? Because they are under so many sanctions by the Western world that their access to credit is very limited. Mm. Okay. (laughs) 
Let's join. It could definitely work for the governments themselves, but the people that, at least some of the articles that I've been reading, the people that are in the know about what these currencies represent, they're actually quite happy as well because those governments, they ultimately lose power exactly. in a way. It's That's fine Great. in a way. What's your take on that, Amy? Like, should China ban Bitcoin as they are trying to do? They shut down a lot of these miners over there. A lot of them shifted to Mongolia. A lot of them are, are like shifting to the US for the sole reason that they are like Bitcoin miners. They earn money by mining Bitcoin. But now the government's no can do. What's your take on that? Yeah, I think, well, I think people should be allowed to use it if they need to or want to and like ellen was saying like it gives power to the people taking that away is yeah not great <laughs> agreed agreed cannot take stuff from the people so true rule number one of a government now let's move over to the next one and this is the final one that we work on and this is something that i don't understand personally hopefully you guys can help me over there nfts are going up like crazy art pieces or whatnot selling for millions of dollars. They have been selling for millions of dollars, but they like at least had a canvas, at least they went to a Sotheby's or whatnot. These days, it's a JPEG. Today, it was a piece of rock that sold for $20,000. What's the craze behind NFTs? Like, what is it that makes a collectible? I want to start with Amy first. Yeah, I guess like, to me, when I think about like why is it so popular, I think about NBA Top Shot and how they had all of these NFTs, which essentially to me mirrored like a 90s thing of like trading cards. And mm -hmm. like it was that was so popular back in the day. And it was like almost nostalgic value too of, oh yeah, I own this. This is mm. my card. Or I think that was a really great strategy to do. And then, yeah, like the like emergence of art pieces and being able to own a meme. I don't know. It's like just it's funny it, it's almost like buying into culture I guess like it for example I don't know if you saw but I posted this thing a screenshot of Tory Lanez he just nft'd his album so he sold mm. a million copies of his album for one dollar each and mm. so that those million dollar million copies will just continue to be resold and i think that was super interesting too so yeah i'm like really interested in how nfts are being used in the art industry as well so can i not make a copy of that as i allegedly did in my childhood ripping cds into mp3 mm -hmm. we can still so what's the purpose of that nft Ellen, see can... i'm sorry Go for it, Amy. Okay. See, I don't. This is where my like level of understanding of NFTs like starts to dwindle a little bit too. Because if it's one album, there's only a million copies of that album. But are they not the exact same copy of the album exactly. theoretically? Yeah. So that's where my NFT knowledge starts to dwindle too. But yeah, Alan, what are your thoughts on this? <laughs> Sure. So when something is technically an original, especially if it's put on a blockchain and it's purchased by a particular seller, for example, it gets, from my understanding, a unique hat. What a blockchain is, it's 
so so in a block right there's a bit of data there could be from my understanding like a transaction information piece of data other types of data and so that particular block has a unique hash and anytime there's a change made to that hash it creates a whole different block with a new hash that links to the previous block and so what these nfts from my understanding do is they offer like a receipt that this is the original uh, piece for sure. And the problem which historically has happened in the art circles is people would create fakes, right? So you have, for example, the Mona Lisa that's hanging in the Louvre. And it's actually quite interesting to see because it's just a relatively small painting and there would be like a massive amount of people gathered around it. It's the craziest thing. But anyways, you have the Mona Lisa, for example, and then you have someone who can create almost an identical copy. And in order to distinguish between that, you have to hire some sort of specialist or whatnot. Whereas if this is on a blockchain, there is a way to see the guarantee that this is in fact the original piece. And so a lot of art collectors and people with money enjoy being the owner of the original thing. Uh, So that's a craze in the art world. I think Mm. some of it is absolutely ridiculous, Mm. but I also do think that it's one way I'm not a hundred percent sure like I get it because you can still have various copies that you sell but I think it's more about that original credit going to the original the person who originally created it there's a way to track that now it's I guess it's I don't know maybe like a receipt that someone described it as so Mm -hmm. that's my understanding Mm -hmm. like for older people (laughs) myself it's like Windows XP all over again. Like we never cared whether we had the original one or not. 99% of us did. It didn't matter because I was getting the Windows XP or allegedly I was getting for legal reasons. Allegedly I was getting the actual Windows XP, like Windows experience. So how is it makes sense for somebody to own a receipt for something that is very, let's say, unique of sorts, like a piece of art, like the Mona Lisa. What about those millions of like copies of an art CD or like whatnot? The the experience would be the That depends on who you talk to. <laughs> depends on who you talk to. That's true. There's no social value of right. like your Windows experience, okay? But I've, I'm yeah. like a number one Tori Lanes fan. I'd be like, F everybody because I own one of the right. million copies. Right. Goodbye. <laughs> you have to be the original to you own the yeah. original copy. and then you're also like okay why do people buy fake prada because they want that social values like mm. why would people like rip the album because they want that social value like they want to enjoy it too so yeah i don't know i get it i get it it shows my hypocrisy if i see somebody with a fake prada i'm judging that person but if i use a <laughs> fake window cd i'm yeah fine i saved money <laughs> <laughs> I yep. get it. I get it. And that brings us that whole circle thing back to deepfakes. So NFTs and deepfakes, what do you guys think that the future holds? They merge, will they like whatever? Ellen. Wow. What if they start uh, NFTing like Elon Musk deepfakes? Oh, that would be nice, I guess. Elon Musk, Musk would want to buy some of them, right? You can have a receipt of an original deepfake. That's <laughs> mm. <Whoa>. right. <laughs> that's deep, and that's 
like eagerly true. So there used to be the stamp called the Penny Black issued by England. And it basically was supposed to be a red thing inside a black thing. Somebody printed it in reverse. So it was a black thing within a red. That instead of being a counterfeit thing because it was so rare, people paid hundreds and thousands of pounds for it because it's a UK and they used pounds back in the day. So yeah. <laughs> People can pay crazy money for NFTs. People can pay crazy money for, like, what, stamps, tulips, probably Bitcoin, probably what Aaron Phillips is building at Polygon. So, yeah. This thing, sometimes I listen to it, and on a certain level, it's a little bit... I appreciate things that are quirky and comical and silly. I think there is definitely room for that in life and in culture. I, I appreciate mm. it 100%. However, if you think about some of the price tags that are associated with very frivolous kind of purchases. It's a little, there are people who legitimately could use some help in terms of funding education or housing and, and things like that. So while I support the creator economy, I also think that sometimes listening to things like this is a little questionable because there there are genuinely more maybe important things that people could probably probably spend uh, money mm. on. There was this story, and this is what makes me mad. There, there was this story about a person at an art gallery who taped a banana to oh, the yes. wall. Someone paid a hundred, I think a hundred thousand dollars. And then the person ate the banana. What? <laughs> yeah, it was a duct taped banana to a wall at an art exhibit. Yeah. A hundred thousand okay. that could buy multiple people a university education. Right. Um, and mm -hmm. probably that's not the most important thing. Multiple people food <laughs> probably right. is a better way to, but yeah. Mm -hmm. so. <laughs> I saw this tweet the other day that was actually in the form of an Instagram post, which was mm -hmm. an Instagram story because millennial life. But anyways, uh, the tweet said that like men just want to trade JPEGs now and uh, would rather trade JPEGs instead of funding women projects. And I was like, oh, that's so funny. <laughs> that's so funny. This is, I guess, what makes Mark Cuban great. So, like, it's a very isolated story. So he was on some interview and he used the word fuck somewhere in there. And somebody came up to him and was like, hey, so you used that F word and you will be, like, fined $15,000 for it. He was like over a single word. And then that interviewer was like, but that money would go to charity. He was like, to charity, huh? And if I say it again, I, I, I would have to pay double. And that guy was like, yes. So he was like, fuck it. On life nice. But I totally get what you guys are like getting at. It makes a lot of sense that there are collectibles. People would act irrationally as they have since ever and i guess we need more people like ellen in the world who think about it things like from a different perspective that collectible will okay be something that you can show off to your friends or whatnot but it could also like fund somebody's education 
Yeah. 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 Or I'm very, well, I work at a tech company, but that's not an accident. It's something that I really respect. So when it comes to innovation and solve, there's so many different problems in the world. And so when, this idea to potentially develop something uh, or innovate and create a potential solution for some of the many things that we need technology for, that mm-hmm. to me is an incredibly useful use of money. And so education is definitely part of that. And again, you hear about frivolous spending, and I understand that people need to live their lives and enjoy them. But at which point do you really get the satisfaction? For me, if I was wealthy, investing in new technologies, even if some of them fail, because some of them do, that's fine. It's allowed. It's research and various research. Like to me, that's something that would give me personally a lot of a lot of pleasure. That's something to hang up on the wall. Like, I contributed funds to space exploration or various research. I, I was working near a research team at the hospital and they were working with resonance imaging machines that a person could inhale a certain type of gas and they go into an MRI and, and you could see if there are any blockages in their lungs uh, mm. or other organs, etc. And so research like that can really help non-invasive for medical professionals to, to be able to detect various diseases, things like that. There, there's so many things. So that's something you can be like, okay, I contributed. I'll hang that on my wall. Maybe a picture of the research team or something. So yeah, that it's really, I'm all for being quirky, but it, there needs to be a balanced approach. I, I think mm. a little bit to, to some of these, some of these price tags, <laughs> mm. in my opinion. So it yeah. makes a lot of sense, Ellen. It sounds very sane. You <laughs> add balance to the Hackanon team just by being here. Can we have the quirky side from you, Amy? <laughs> I love the hundred thousand dollar banana on the wall (laughs) she just shakes her head (laughs) two people will not live in my world (laughs) oh man with that i mean like oh i'm sorry go for it the eating part of it, especially if the person who purchased it was not expecting it, I'm maybe okay with that just because maybe they learned the, their lesson. Although if you're willing to spend that much money on a banana, you probably have too much money and you haven't learned anything. Or maybe it was a stunt, which likely maybe that definitely was, was a stunt. <laughs> yeah. But like I just, it depends who was aware of the stunt. So yeah, but it's unacceptable. We are rooting for you, Ellen. Like we want like more people <laughs> like you in this world. But yeah, <laughs> on that note, we'd like to call it a close. This was Hackernoon's latest episode on this week on Planet Planet Internet, hosted usually by Amy, frequented by Ellen. Sometimes you like get to see me, and it's edited by Alex Cobb. So with that, we'd like to call it a wrap. For all of you listening in, thank you for joining, and see you guys next week. Bye. Bye. Afternoon podcast.